The thick cloud called a piper cub's tail. The match struck blue. We got my mother's father. slipped on his wooden fish head. The mouth worked and snapped all the bees back to the bungalow. I cried like a buyer, Veterans Day Poppy. It don't get me high. Hello and welcome to Track by Track Presents Trout Mask Replica. My name is Joel Bacher, guest hosting for Darren Husted, and we are going track by track through Captain Beefheart and his Magic Band's legendary double album, 1969 double album, Trout Mask Replica. Uh, I am today we are discussing Hobo Chang Ba, which is track 24, the fourth track on side four of Trout Mask Replica. This was recorded at Whitney Studios in Glendale, California in March of 1969, produced by Frank Zappa. Personnel on this track are Bill Harkelroad, a.k.a. Zuthorn Rollo on guitar, Jeff Cotton, a.k.a. Antenna Jimmy Siemens on guitar, Mark Boston, a.k.a. Rocket Morton on bass, John French, a.k.a. Drumbo on drums, Don Van Vliet, a.k.a. Captain Beefheart on vocals. There also appears to be some kind of horn played at one point on this track. Not sure who's actually playing that. It's either uh, Van Vliet or um, uh, Victor Hayden, I think that's his name, who uh, is also known as the Mascara Snake, who plays some bass clarinet on this album. Um, Anyway, the length of this track is two minutes and two seconds. And joining me to discuss this song today is Allison. How are you doing today, Allison? I'm all right. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Get to talk about Captain Beefheart, so that that makes makes a good day for me. Cool. So uh, this song is another hobo narrative, um, a theme that that uh, Van Vliet comes back to several times on this album, and then again throughout his career. It's another one of his character sketches. Um, this one about a presumably Chinese uh, immigrant. I, I can't even tell you how many times I listened to this song before I realized that Chang Ba is supposed to be a name. Um, I, that makes I guess... me feel a lot better. You have no idea. <laughs> okay, because, yeah, I, I just always presumed it was one of his, his odd neologisms. There's a few songs on this album where he simply invents words like form a heap on uh, Bill's corpse. And... So I just always presumed it was another one of those. And it wasn't until I think it's referenced in Mike Barnes's book that Chang Ba is supposed to be the name of this character that he's that he's singing about. Um, but uh, yeah, it's another uh, another hobo narrative, another um, uh, just fantastic piece of music here. The the uh, groove that kicks in at around one minute. <laughs> Stand against my ground, lay the rest of the law. The ocean is my mother, Detain is my paw. Hobo Chambers. One of my favorite bits of music on the entire album. It just is this incredibly um, funky swinging groove that, um, of, as is the, the nature of most of the songs on Trout Mask Replica, lasts for about 30 seconds and then moves on to something else. Um, but it creates that that sense of of rolling forward motion that's very fitting for a song about 
uh, riding the rails. So um, I gave all of my guests on this podcast an opportunity to pick the tracks that they'd like to discuss. Allison, what drew you to Hobo Cheng Ba? So the other track that I got to discuss was Moonlight on Vermont. And that was, um, as I described in that episode, um, very accessible in terms of just uh, Captain Beefheart music in general. And then I felt like uh, I had to prove myself. I'm like, I'm going to pick something that might be a little bit more challenging to the listener. And so I picked Hobo. So this, this is adva- this is advanced level Beefheart. Um, maybe for me. Yeah. Not that it's hard to listen to, but um, like I said, I think Moonlight on Vermont is, it, again, in context with like the whole of the album is almost mm-hmm. poppy. Not quite, but it's like this is that song is as catchy as it's going to get, I think. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think this song has that quality. But uh, it's no less interesting. Yeah, I would I would absolutely agree. Yeah, Moonlight on Vermont has the it, it would be in an alternative universe would be the hit single from from this album, which I think yeah. you mentioned on the the episode. Whereas as this is um, this shifts around too much to be it's it's too um, peripatetic to to be as accessible. And Van Vliet is singing in a very odd voice on this song people tend to associate him with his standard singing voice is you know kind of a a somewhat higher pitched variation on um howlin wolf uh which i i say that like that's not in in incredible voice which it is that his his greatest gift i think was that that utterly singular voice but on this track he is affecting some kind of very odd um chanting monotonous kind of voice which um and in mike barnes's book that i had to pull the exact quote because it it struck me as funny because barnes just has no time for the the way that he is his singing this particular song he says van vliet sings this poignant tale one of his best lyrics in a ridiculous voice that was <laughs> according to barnes and i'm quoting directly from the book apparently his approximation of an oriental accent um, it doesn't sound like that at all to me. Um, I was going to say that's a bit of a stretch. And also I, um, not so sure that the word oriental is the one that should be used there, but that's, again, I'm quoting directly from the book. Um, yeah, I don't know where he's drawing that from. If it is it intended to sound like some sort of an accent, um, uh, it sounds like no accent I've ever heard. Um, yeah. and it, it seems more to me along the lines of the somewhat cartoony, um, uh, stretches that he that he puts on his vocals on some of the, on some of these tracks. You know, he's he's never singing through an effects box or anything. He's just mm-hmm. uh, through the, the his own very flexible voice. Like on Big Jones sets up when he uh, when he starts off in that he's singing in this weird squeaky, um, not exactly a falsetto, but it's a very cartoon charactery kind of voice. And mm-hmm. um, and then on uh. When the dust blows for uh, on dust blows for and the dust blows back, he's got this kind of creaky septuagenarian voice. So he's he's showing off his range, but it, it is it, it the particular voice he's using on this track is an odd choice. Yeah, I, I'm trying to think. Like I hadn't really considered it. I'm like, I is he trying to somehow bolster the narrative, or I feel like that might be a bit too considered. 
but really yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, it's difficult to say. It, it may have simply been an inspiration that struck him in the moment that he chose to, to, to sing like that. Um, from what I've read, a lot of the songs on this album and the lyrics, again, he, he was not, he refused to wear headphones. So he's just kind of doing his best approximation of hitting where the lyrics should come in. And on some of the songs, he's he's simply deciding in the he decided in the moment that he was going to use that particular poem that he had written as lyrics over that track. Um, but it it all it all fits, uh, other than the the oddness of the his singing voice, which I think Barnes is being a little harsh and calling it ridiculous. Um, yeah, I agree. The and the uh, the monotonousness of it does kind of emphasize the. Uh, the rolling forward motion of the the main character uh, who is, uh, as he says in the song, standing still is losing. So this is a guy who is constantly on the move. Yeah. The, um, like maybe he is bolstering the narrative in that way. I think that's absolutely correct when like it kind of evokes, I was going to say like a battering ram, but obviously like the song is about a train. It's just got to keep moving forward. Yep, and that that westward that westward motion that pops up in so much of the of um, Van Vliet's music, the 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 romance, the romance of the riding the rails hobo kind of life, which is another thing that connects him with. Uh, and I've I've mentioned this in previous episodes and and possibly in future episodes because I'm recording this all out of order. Um, connects him with the the other great one of the other great Southern California. Um, composers Harry Parch, who made so who so much of his work was um, uh, obsessed with his or not obsessed, but were uh, based upon his experience as an actual hobo riding the rails in the the nineteen thirties. Um, Van Vliet, according to um, John French, actually did spend some time with some uh, guys who were still riding the rails in the. 1950s who would go through his his town in Lancaster, California. Um, pretty much anything Van Vliet said about his life and his youth, I, I always presume you have to take with a grain of salt because he <laughs> tended to make up a lot of tall tales about himself. But it's entirely within the realm of possibility that he would go chat with, with these guys. And certainly the image of the hobo pops up um, many, many times in his, in his oeuvre. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I had read... I don't know. It was another interview that said that um, it basically just corroborates uh, the claim that I'm sorry, Van Vliet, I was going to call him Kevin Beefheart, had spent, <laughs> had spent time with um, some hobos and this is how he was able to uh, come up with this story. And it never occurred to me that Changba was a name. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was, and I'm still not 100% in looking at the lyric sheet, I don't see that Chang Ba is capitalized. So I would think if it's a name, it, the the C and the B would be capitalized. But um, so I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure I buy that. But uh, we'll we'll go with that. <laughs> like I that it's the first thing that I wrote down in my notes. Um, like the reason that I had to go to college more than once is because I never realized that. Chang Ba was possibly the name of someone. Uh, 
whenever I read the song title to myself in my head, I think of Changba as more of like a noise or an automatopoeia, mm-hmm. which was, I, and I don't know where that came from, like purely instinctual, like no thought went into that. Um, it's just, I don't know. That's how it made sense to me. So <laughs> it, it sounds like onomatopoeia. It sounds like the, sleigh bells that they're using uh, later in the song. The shaking of the bells has it sounds like a chang. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, like, yeah, I just thought it was like a metallic crash or something like that. Something that would be more associated with trains. So <laughs> that's... It made me feel better when you said that you didn't realize it was a name. <laughs> no. And I'm again, I'm still... I am I may be a Changba truther. I'm not sure I believe that it's actually a name. <laughs> But Barnes is absolutely right in that lyrically, this is um, one of his finest moments in in crafting this character. Um, I don't know what a strawwood claw is either. Strawwood claw rattle in my jaw. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm guessing it might have something to do with rail with trains, um, or it could be old hobo slang. I I was um, going down a Wikipedia rabbit hole the other day of looking up old uh, slang terms used by by hobos and bums in the, the 1920s and 1930s, which um, there was some, there's some, there's a great uh, like whole lost language that these guys would use to communicate with each other. Um, and I, I think I mentioned in the uh, orange claw hammer episode, which I might not even have aired yet. I'm not sure. Uh, not sure which one uh, where that comes in the, in the order. Oh yeah. That would have come out already. The, the, the number of different terms that, um, that they had for lice is, is more than a little alarming that they needed that many different slang terms to refer to lice is kind of takes a lot of the romance out of the hobo lifestyle that, yeah, these guys were not, um, it didn't have the the best hygiene options. Yeah. And speaking of sapping the romance out of it, um, morning time to thaw morning time to thaw. Yeah. Yeah. Which just says to me, it's like, you've been out in the elements all night, but now that it's finally, you know, daylight, you can try to warm up a little bit. You can warm up a little bit. Yeah. And I can't call it using, it's just something soothing implies, uh, uh, maybe the use of, of some kind of maybe alcohol or some kind of drug, um, uh, used to like take, take some of the, take some of the harshness out of a harsh existence mm-hmm. and standing still is losing. Got to keep moving. Uh, I don't know what feather times a feather means necessarily but it's a great it it it's got good mouth feel when you say it it's a, <laughs> one of those nice um and again he's kicking back to nature imagery which he he uses references on uh on virtually every track on this album um my favorite uh one of my favorite bits of his writing on any of the albums is the verse stand again my ground lay to rest the law the ocean is my mother. Freight train is my paw. That's I. I love that so much. That that feels so. Um, we were talking about the Americanness of of Van Bleet's music. That that feels like it could be from some ancient, um, you know, hobo ballad. That's that you know been around been around for, um, been around for decades. It's it it just. Um, it you can you can you can feel the you can feel the rust and the dirt in that phrase. 
yeah, there's something like really almost well religious kind of. So we do have like these parental figures, you know, the ocean and the freight train. But it also kind of made me think of like this is going to sound dumb, but um like in the uh, most recent Mad Max, the Mad Max Fury Road, mm-hmm. where like their, or even Snowpiercer, kind of like where their deity is like the engine. Wow, that's a really great observation. No, that that it does it gives them the the quality of a primeval force of something yeah. that is beyond humanity. Which I mean, the ocean certainly is. You know the the uh the ocean being the the ocean as a mother is a um is a very religious spiritual kind of image and then to the freight train being you know the like you say the engine the the man-made machine being the other the other deity in this in this theology which i think is also probably a very american sentiment like we have something that's very naturally occurring the, the ocean and then we've got the machinery on the other side as well and the machine that was the first thing to connect the connect the country, the right. the um, the transatlantic railway, um, you know, connecting the coast, so you could go from one ocean to the other. Mm-hmm. I think, in terms of story, like the other episode I did, which was Moonlight on Vermont, we got a lot of little bits and pieces. I think of goings on. I get that with this narrative it's much more in place there's some ambiguity but not a whole lot it's a little bit more straightforward yeah this is one of the less surreal lyrics on on this album this is a pretty i mean there's there are some lines that are are a little bewildering like feather times a feather but it it along with like orange claw hammer which is uh, another you know hobo character sketch this is this is a fairly um, a fairly straightforward, if very evocative, lyric about a particular person. Mm-hmm. And it's um, really morning time to thaw. Just kind of breaks my heart. But this song ends, I think, with a solid foundation of optimism. You know, the new sunrise. I'm trusting. Yep. To find work or a permanent home, maybe or. Maybe to just be alive another day. Yeah, it does. It's it's a very um, the rails I ride are rust and the new sunrise I'm trusting is like you say very an optimistic, forward looking. Um, we're we're just going to keep moving forward, and and take what comes. But yeah, more than time to thaw is harsh. Mm-hmm. Let's see what else I've got here. Oh, I was able to find it's it's a transcription of the sheet music, but it was done by a fan. Um, okay, it sounded pretty accurate. But the thing that I noticed the most, I think, was we've got a couple of different time signatures. Mm-hmm. And we, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just looking at the list here. There's two four. There's thirteen eight five eight four four and three eight, which is um, yeah. <laughs> That's a lot. That's yeah. a lot going on. And considering that it's also two minutes and two seconds long. 
Yeah, there's that, that, a lot going on there. <laughs> that all of those are packed in. Yeah, I I wish I could remember where I read this. I'll have to see if I can get the source um, for for Darren to include. But uh, some on the the subject of musical minimalism, that Van Vliet is essentially whatever the opposite of that would be. It's musical maximalism, where everything is stuffed into this these incredibly short and yet extremely eventful musical pieces. Oh, interesting. I have not heard of that before but i mean definitely makes sense here i'm not sure that's an act that maximalism is an actual term but it does seem fitting for this yeah, music I mean, especially the opposite of minimalism you got to go big so uh one of the the more amusing anecdotes about the recording of this album comes from this song that um van vliet had ordered 20 sets of sleigh bells uh for the <laughs> the um use of sleigh bell percussion on on this track and this is referenced in barnes's book and in kevin Corrier's book that um herb cohen pointed out to van vliet that even if every single person in the studio held sleigh bells in each of their hands that would still be only 14 sleigh bells going at the same time so you know and he he said to van vliet what are you going to do with the other six and van vliet replied we'll overdub them (laughs) <laughs> which is just the fact that he really was imp- insistent that no, there need to be 20 sleigh bells on this track <laughs> says something about how he was thinking about things and what kind of, what kind of point he wanted to make. They sound great, but I'm not sure I really would have noticed the difference if there had only been 14 as opposed to 20. That's a- an unconscionably large amount of sleigh bells, no matter what. The sound of 20 sleigh bells. I think this kind of ties into, um, what I had discussed a bit on the other episode was that like, I know that it sounds kind of disjointed and kind of slapdash, but ultimately like these are very, very carefully planned out songs. I'm with you. I don't know that I would notice the difference between 14 or 20 sleigh bells, but the plan was to have 20. So. And he was determined he was going to have 20 no matter what. Yeah, there's actually on on one of Beefheart's much later albums, um, on uh, Doc at the Radar Station, there's a a song called Best Batch Yet. He has a line in there that I've always thought was him kind of talking about his music because he says this, and I'm I'm quoting this from memory, so this may not be entirely correct, but it's it's something like, uh, this might seem to be the finest pearl, but it's only cardboard walls seamed in glue. So it's like that we've put this enormous amount of effort into creating, making this man-made thing that sounds like it could be something natural and organic. Interesting. I might, I might be completely reaching on my interpretation of that line, but that I always felt that that was him giving and also giving a little tip of his hat for once to his band members who are, were really the ones (laughs) putting in the enormous effort of putting these, these pieces together. I mean, the way that um, the album overall makes sense to me is that it seems like, well, probably because this is what happened, like a visual artist approached music using his formal training as a visual artist and not necessarily anything to do with composition or music. So you get these things like, that make sense conceptually, even though maybe sonically they didn't quite come together. 
but I find it doesn't bother me. Like, I love the disjointedness of it and how, um, like, beats don't quite match up and that there's ambiguity in the lyrics. And I, I've always thought of this album as as having something in common with, um, and this is a very this is a very silly analogy, and and uh, believe me, I know it. But there there was this brief fad in the '90s for those like 3D magic eye pictures where yeah where it just and my vision is sufficiently awful that they never work for me but in theory you stare at this thing that just looks like a bunch of you know swirls of color long enough and a picture pops out uh, eventually this is this this is a running gag in in the movie mall rats uh, to give some (laughs) indication of the vintage of these things i remember these being huge in the malls where i grew up in michigan um, back in the 90s there'd just be all these people standing around staring at these pictures and uh, i've always felt like finding the shape in beefheart's music um was analogous to that in some ways like the first time you hear this album it really does sound um chaotic and uh, like people are just kind of running over each other and, and no one knows what they're doing and then the more you listen to it the more you start to hear the the ways that the band is shifting around each other and, and one part piece of music um, evolves into the next. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the notes that I'd written for Hobo Chengba was until about 50 seconds in, it sounds like all the musicians kind of lost each other, ran around frantically, then came back together to march in formation. <laughs> That's an excellent way of putting it. Cause yeah, there is a point where um everyone kicks into the same riff at Steady still is losing feather times a feather morning time it does sound like it, it sounds like okay everyone at attention and like they've kind of been wandering around in separate areas and then everyone snaps into this same kind of staccato repetitive part for you know a t- grand total of like 10 seconds and then it's on to something else mm-hmm but that's a great, great way of putting a march in formation that, that, yeah, everyone, everyone comes together for that, for that one part. And then, you know, uh, moves off in, in separate directions again. Yeah. The 10 seconds is very planned and choreographed. It is only 10 seconds, but it's not an accident. Right. Which is about as much of a groove as you ever get with a few song exceptions. You know, you, you can, uh, you get like ten to twenty seconds of some, and you start to get like, okay, yeah, I can, I can feel the pulse in this, and and I sort of understand what everybody's doing, and then it's discarded onto the next piece of music. Mm-hmm. There was a great old um, Chicago band called U.S. Maple, who were very, very clearly and heavily influenced by by Captain Beefheart, and I, I, someone described their music. I'll have to see if I can find this clip. Uh, someone described being at a U.S. Maple concert as like constantly anticipating being ready to rock, but never actually getting there. <laughs> it's like you, you'd you have your arms. It's like, OK, OK, we're going to rock now. We're going to. Oh, no, no, we're not rocking. OK. And oh, no, here it comes. We're going to rock. Oh, no, no. Because it was just constantly defying the expectations of like, OK, this is where the groove is going to kick in. And then we we rock. And and it's it, it much the same with Van Vliet. You'll get these moments of of 
like at the about the one minute mark on this song, where it is just a fantastic swinging groove that like any any rhythm section would be would be proud of to to base a piece on, and then within moments it's gone, and everyone seems to wander off in different directions again, and the the rhythm changes, and so you get these. The you you do get occasionally with Beefheart you do get to rock you get those moments like yes I'm rocking and then you know but you know you only get to do it for like twenty seconds at a time I love that though like always just like you're waiting for it to all fall into place and like finally it's gonna make sense and be cohesive but uh, no not quite maybe yep. for a little bit but yeah you get you have to you have to learn to really cherish those those moments of (laughs) just really just hoard the rock just really cherish those moments of rocking uh did you have anything else you want to say about hobo chang ba uh i have my little conclusion thing um it says you could pick each composition apart to pieces only to find that the composition is made up of smaller pieces um it's a 1000 piece jigsaw puzzle that combines to form an impressive whole like it's music that changes shape. Like when you, oh, this was a dumb thing that I wrote, but here it is. Uh, like when you stare at a spot in a dimly lit room. Um, if you've ever had that phenomenon happen where you can't see very well, um, so your brain will kind of fill in information that you're not able to perceive. Mm-hmm. So, um, like if I stare at a dark ceiling um, when I'm trying to fall asleep, but. Uh, Every regrettable decision I've ever made is just playing over and over in my head. If I look up at the ceiling, it'll eventually start to look like it's like swirling or moving somehow. So that's kind of how I perceive the album as a whole, I guess. Um, that, that's oh, a great sorry. analogy. And um, I don't know, I'm sorry I interrupted you. And also, I, I just wanted to mention that um, it's nice to know someone else who gets to experience the every bad decision greatest hits. <laughs> <laughs> every night so um we're we're comrades in that because i get to i get to listen to that show every night too i it's probably a pretty common um <laughs> show or album if you like um yeah but yeah uh hobo Chang but my notes for this aren't very long um it is wh- what did we say what is it two minutes Yep, two minutes and two seconds. Yeah, two minutes and two seconds. Um, uh, lyrically, I guess it's a nice break where we have a very definitive narrative that doesn't have a lot of ambiguity. Um, so all the excitement, such as it were, is all the instrumentation that's going on in the background. Um, not toe-tapping, but absolutely <laughs> appreciable and delightful art, I think. I, I love your description, that music that changes shape, because that... that really does capture the kind of protean quality of, of the endlessly morphing music that you get in these incredibly short tracks. Like, and I think, I think when big Jones sets up is the longest track on the album, it's about six minutes, but, but most of them are, you know, between two to three and just so much packed into these incredibly, incredibly short bursts. Yeah. I mean, I think it keeps things exciting and like I said earlier in this episode, like it's a little bit challenging for the listener, but I mean, I guess it depends on what it is you're looking for. Um, I find that the discord such, such as it were, like it doesn't bother me. Um, I couldn't say that it's like 
Like, it just sounds good, I guess. Hmm, that doesn't make a ton of sense. I think I listened to this album and really Captain Beefheart as a whole, like, a little bit differently than I do, like, say, The Beatles. Yeah. Like, the, the things that you appreciate about something that's a little bit easier to listen to are completely different, uh, like, to what you appreciate about uh, Captain Beefheart and really anyone who kind of works within, like, a prog genre, I suppose. Yeah, it's it's, you're not necessarily going to it to hear you know a a melody that'll get stuck in your head all day and you know um a a pleasant a pleasant groove to to zone out to or or what have you and i'm uh, you know not making any kind of value judgment in that there's there's certainly there's there's place there's a place for melody and um but if someone were to say to me, you know, oh, what I look for in a song is a, a pretty melody and, you know, nice lyrics about love or something. Um, that's That would be a good indicator to me that they're probably not going to enjoy Captain Beefheart very much. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's not really in Beefheart's wheelhouse. That's not how he expresses himself. So yeah, this is a different kind of language different yeah. kind of musical language. Uh, well, I believe that is going to do it for Hoba Changba. Allison, uh, oh, we have to rate the song. I always forget to do rate the song because um, they're all five out of five for me. Uh, would you like to rate the song, Allison? Sure. I'll give this one a four out of five. Um, really, for me, this song's appeal is in its narrative, um, as we had discussed previously. Um, morning time to thaw. Really, it just it gets at me. And the fact that it ends on a note of optimism also gets at me. So a very touching, very short story. (laughs) Okay. Um, Do you have anything that you would like to plug? Um, Sure. If anyone is inclined to, you can look at some glimpses of my strange life on Instagram. Um, Allison V as in Victor 1710, if it interests you. Very cool. And I am also on Instagram at... Joel A. Bacher, uh, Bacher with two Ks, if you like looking at pictures of cats, because that's pretty much all I ever post is pictures of my cat. Uh, I'm also on Twitter under the same handle, which I don't post very much on Twitter, but uh, you're welcome to follow me there if you like. Track by Track is on Twitter at at underscore track by track. And uh, we will see you here next time. Thank you. Bobo Chamber. Oh, boo.